This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. Joy 94.9. This is Gay News Week on Joy 94.9. Have your say. 1300 Joy 949. Gay, Gay News Week. Gay News Week on Joy 94.9. Joy, Joy 94.9. Good evening and welcome to Gay News Week on Joy 94.9 with Katie Larson and myself Matt Thompson. Here at Gay News Week we aim to cover topics that have been in the news over the past week and how they impact on you, us and our community. Yes and on tonight's show I have to say Matt in our community over the last week there's been just a touch of news about gay marriage. Just a touch exactly. Just, just it's a smidgen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there have been some major developments, not only here in Australia, but of course impacted by events from around the world. That's right. So last week we were, of course, breaking the story as we were on air about mm-hmm. New Zealand passing the marriage bill, which was fantastic news, becoming the 13th nation in the world to pass same-sex marriage. Yeah. Since then, we've got another one. Yes. France. France is the 14th nation now to pass. And uh, so we're going to pass, pass away, <laughs> no, to, to pass the bill. Pass the bill. Um, so we're going to have a chat to our international affairs correspondent, Andrew Potts from Gay Star News. Yes, and we'll also be speaking to Rodney Croom from Australian Marriage Equality just to discuss what kind of impacts this is going to have on the Australian landscape. But we're not just talking marriage equality tonight. No, we're not. We no. thought we'd throw a couple of other things there as well. <laughs> so last week we had a chat to you about the um, National LGBTI Health Conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and this week we've got Liam Leonard from Gay and Lesbian Health Victoria is coming in to talk one of the ma- about one of the major initiatives they launched at the conference, mm. which is a new rainbow tick. Yes, and I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to hearing about this. Yes. It's kind of like a, um, what, what's that tick that they give for foods that are good? Yeah, like the heart tick. The, the heart, heart foundation, foundation tick. There it <laughs> That's is. That's right. It's something equivalent um, for the GLBTI community and making sure um, organisations are being GLBTI friendly. That's right. And people, will have, organisations will have to apply for this as well. So Liam's, Liam's going to come in and have a, a chat to us about that, which will be really great. Yes, certainly. And of course, we will, as always, bring you the GLBTI National Affairs and International Affairs Roundup, telling you everything that's happening around your country and around your world um, that's happening in the GLBTI community. But of course, throughout the show, if you want to contribute your feedback and share your thoughts on what we're talking about, uh, this is how you do so. You're listening to the Gay Newsweek podcast with Katie, Jeffrey, and Matt. Get in touch. Email gaynewsweek at joy.org.au or check out joy.org.au slash gaynewsweek for all of the links to our social media pages. Gay Newsweek with Katie and Matt this evening. Yes, and last week we spoke to Warren Talbot, who's the general manager of the National LGBTI Health Alliance about the National LGBTI Health Conference. Now, this week we're joined in the studio by Liam Leonard, who is the Director of Gay and Lesbian Health Victoria. Gay and Lesbian Health Victoria launched an amazing new initiative at the conference last week. Liam, a rainbow tick. (laughs) All right. Um, Yes, we we were one of the organising parties for the conference and we hosted a stream over the three days called Doing LGBTI Differently. Mm. And... um, on the second day of the conference, we launched something called the Rainbow Tick. Yep. And what it is, is it's a set of six standards, national standards, against which health and community or health, yeah, health and human and community services can be formally accredited to show that they're LGBTI inclusive. Mm. Now, what's unusual about the Rainbow Tick is that uh, the bodies that do the accreditation are the national accreditation bodies that accredit health and human services 
every year or every two years, we built in a set of standards with them. So they're objective, they're externally evaluated, and it'll be the first time in the world where when uh, an organisation gets the rainbow tick, they mm. will have met really high standards. And it's, um, it's, it's, it's a way of saying to, to GLBT consumers that this organisation is GLBT friendly and it's GLBT competent. Mm. You, said, you said you um, hosted the stream doing GLBTI health differently. Why do we have to do GLBTI health differently? <laughs> oh, God, do you want to... I gave a 30-minute plenary. Do you want to short... Um, <laughs> if we could shrink that down just, just a tad. Did a tad. <laughs> um, I argued that uh, there have been three phases in the way we've done LGBTI health policy. I yep. say that the first, pay, first phase was one of repulsion. Yeah, where right. basically we were constructed as either criminal or pathological objects within policy and mm-hmm. um, the aims were done really at converting people mm. back to heterosexuality or locking them away. Yep. I said we entered a second phase in the 80s around what I call um, tolerance or acceptance where LGBTI people were considered within policy insofar as we were effects of heterosexist discrimination. So the assumption was that the only reason we deal with LGBTI people is because they get hurt or they hurt themselves. Mm. And a lot of people think that's perfectly reasonable. And I said we need to move into a third phase which I called affirmation which I think is quite different it's one thing to look at any of us and say we're really sorry that you're subject to discrimination but people who say that might still think we're disgusting and I've said we need a third age where in fact we're valued as a social good in our own right and respected as part of the diversity that makes up the population and when you get into that space the way you do health policy for us shifts dramatically. Where do you think we are in that process at this time I mean there's a lot happening in LGBTI health there's a lot of good news coming out of it, but where do we sit? How much work is there to go to be in a space like that? I said we were on the cusp <laughs> of the segment, <laughs> right. which is, isn't that's a bit of a, a bit of a cop out, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I, I argued that we were on the cusp of a, of a third age, mm. and that yes, there are some really. I, I nominated three things. One was uh, the inclusion of LGBTI people as a special needs group in the um, Age Care Act okay. at the federal yep. level. Um, the LGBTI inclusive practice, the rainbow tick, yep. we say is part of that shift. We're no longer apologising or claiming victim status. What we're saying to agencies is, what are you doing to meet the needs of this particular group mm. in the same way you're meeting the needs of a range of other diverse population mm. groups? Um, and I can't remember the third now, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Um, but it, it, it's not. I'm not saying we'll ever get to a space. I'm not saying that we couldn't. I'm just saying it's time that we started imagining ourselves in that space. Mm. I think a lot of the damage we're now doing is that the second phase has had it's had its it's reached its use by date. I think we need policy to affirm who we not are, not simply to deal with us as effects of discrimination. Yeah. I just think that has reached its historical limit, and we should have policies that would um, address LGBTI people, even if there was no heterosexist discrimination. Yeah, that's yeah, that's an interesting point. Where do you where do you think the greatest area of need is in LGBTI health? We talk a lot about mental health, particularly, mm. and I know it was a big focus of the conference, as was ageing, um, ageing populations. But uh, so are they the two key areas we're really looking at at the moment, or where would you see the greatest area of need? Um, It's clear from all the data that um, despite a whole lot of changes in legislative reform and social reform, that our community still has poorer mental health than the population Mm. as a whole. But I would argue now that until you move into a third space, we're not going to see improvements. I think we've got to a point where 
we are saying to, to the community, LGBTI people have poorer me- mental health because of homophobia and their experience mm. of discrimination. I think that's absolutely the case. However, I don't think we're really going to lift our mental health until we also say to people, you are valued and valuable for being LGBTI. I think until we actually set a culture where people feel valued for their sexuality and gender identity, that's quite a different perspective from simply addressing their mental health issues because of discrimination. It's moving into another space and saying, and we really value you for who and what you are, for your sexuality and gender identity. I think until we move into that space, we're not going to see now improvements in the mental health of our community. And so, yes, I think mental health's an issue. Yes, discrimination's an issue, but I still think that can be rethought in a different framework. So so it's more about embracing actually being the the member of the GLBTI community rather than just uh, making you all equal. It's embracing your individuality. Is that what you're trying to say? Well, it's, in, it, it, it's recognising as I quoted Raymond Gator, who's a philosopher. He did Romulus, my father. Mm. He said on Q&A, and I use this as part of the opening of my plenary, he said that he'd realised that sexuality was so fundamental to people's sense of humanity mm. and that we didn't just need a recognition of LGBTI people being discriminated against until we recognised the dignity of the sexuality and gender identity of LGBTI people. Oh. We were denying them their full humanity. And I just took that and unpacked it. And I said it is one thing for neoliberals to say yes it's appalling that you hurt yourselves Mm. or that we hurt you but we still don't really like you Mm. and you're still other you're still other and so we're just saying try and think what it would mean Mm. for a world in which people recognize the dignity of our sexualities and gender identities Full stop. Mm. A, that is such a different starting place. It's an amazing new kind of world that you know that you're envisioning, which would be well. It's actually probably not a new kind of world. If you look at traditional cultures, we do know that um, same-sex attracted people were treated as some kind of other, but in a way of respect. Yes, and we treat a lot of other differences as not other. We just what, what I argued is we have to stop thinking about our humanity being constituted around sameness. We have to recognise that it's difference that constitutes our shared humanity yeah. and. That, that includes differences of sexualities and gender identities and intersex status. So they mm. were the three categories mm. covered in the conference. So it's trying just to imagine what that would be like, but in a policy framework. That's what, <laughs> and that's why we call the stream, to get back to your opening question, doing LGBTI differently. That's a pretty a powerful and empowering process to go through too when you're talking about LGBTI health. I have a question which has kind of put you on the spot a little bit. We're talking a lot about gay marriage this evening because, you know, it's, it's out in the world. So, you know, speak... personally or professionally, as you wish. But when you're talking about the mental health of GBTI people and we're talking about celebration of of uniqueness and who they are or who we are... um how do, do you think gay marriage fits into that? Does it have a standpoint in um, in supporting, I guess, improvements in mental health for GOBTI community, or is it just a bit of a look? This is I won't finish that sentence. No, <laughs> I've, I've refrained completely from having public comment, partly because I'm director of a, of GLHV. Oh, you can turn that around tonight. I know. We'll play I know. It on the airwaves. So we'll play it as promo. I've <laughs> written. I've written about it. In, I, uh, my line is: we should not be prevented from making the same mistakes as heterosexuals. Sure. Yeah. That's and I know yeah. it sounds comic. Yep. But um, I just, I'm so much of the 80s and 70s when there was just a, a fairly developed critique about marriage as not only um, a heterosexist institution, but deeply misogynist. Mm. And so I have some problems around uh, GLBT people just taking on holus bolus, mm. everything that goes with marriage without yep. some critique. And beyond that, I, I do think that some of the difference we make is, particularly I think of gay men, but this would be true of lesbians and I'm sure of bisexual and trans people, is that 
for a long time, we've lived our social networks through quite highly elaborated sexual networks mm. that don't sit well with notions of monogamy and marriage. Not true of all LGBTI people at all, but a significant slice of our community. And sometimes when I hear the debates, I feel like the marriage debate lines us up as the closest thing to a heterosexual couple that isn't quite heterosexual. Yeah. They're my levels of discomfort. Yeah. We're losing the critique of marriage. Mm. I do think, however, I, I think it's absolutely vital that our relationships are symbolically valued across the culture as a whole, not mm. just within the LGBTI community. And clearly marriage in a broader framework is how we do that in our culture. That is, yeah. that is the site for symbolically valuing intimate often monogamous relations, and I think we have every right to have our relationships yep. of those kinds and other kinds, yes. given that sort of yeah. weight and value. And I think that's what a lot of the fight is. It's, it's more about just conforming to the kind of heterosexual side of, uh, of what recognises as a proper relationship or, or a valuable rela- relationship, when really we should just be embracing our own former and, and, and lobbying to have those forms of relationships actually recognised as valuable relationships. Um, um, connections between people. Yes, and there are a lot of heterosexual relationships that aren't monogamous. There are a lot of gay and lesbian and trans relationships that are monogamous. Mm, What you want surely is a world in which um, the ways in which people live their intimate um, lives are valued as long as they're respectful, dignified, yeah. fun, enjoyable, yeah. all the stuff that. But I do still think that the marriage debate, um, insofar as it's located in that symbolic dimension, is mm. extremely important to our community. Yes. I think, while whatever you think about the criticisms of marriage that I've mentioned, mm. that is still the primary way in which our culture values intimate relations, mm. and our intimate relations aren't valued. And yeah. I think yep. that is an important step. So yeah. I do think the symbolic weight um, is incredibly important. I'm not mm. trying to, to put that down no, or minimise it. I think, it. Uh, yeah, I concur. I concur. Um, <laughs> <laughs> going back to uh, to the health conference and the launch of the Rainbow Tick, uh, this is a this is a world first, I believe, in, in terms of the particular set of standards that are followed? Well, the way the Rainbow Tick works is a lot of organisations we know um, in New Zealand, we know in the UK and Canada, are developing audit tools where an organisation like mine might say, look, your organisation wants to show it's LGBTI friendly. We've got these six standards. We'll come in and do an audit and we'll give you a stick. Yep. The Rainbow Tick is not that. Correct. It is a formal accreditation body that accredits um, funded agencies. Mm-hmm. They won't get their funding if they don't go through these cycles of accreditation. Mm-hmm. We've built in six standards. And to meet those six standards is not just they are six exhaustive standards that show transformations across all areas of an organisation's culture. Yeah, it's not right. just professional training. It's not just access and intake. It's not just a welcoming environment. It's considering a risk register for your LGBT clients. It's an exhaustive process. And that's why it's done by an external agency. So to get this rainbow tick is not just a little audit with a little sticker. Mm. It is way beyond a sticker. It's saying your whole organisation has transformed all its processes and has considered where LGBTI people fit. So to get it, you really have to go through usually a period of one or one and a half years, really, Mm. of of changing your organisational practices. Does that that make sense as to how it's very different to just a rainbow sticker, which is not authorised or accredited? It's interesting to note that it's being done by an external body. I was going to... That was going to be my question is, is it independent? Can it be bought with money? Is this kind of thing, this kind of accreditation, something that can just be bought by organisations that have um, lots of money to splash around? No. Um, Organisations have to go through an accreditation cycle, Mm. um, publicly funded, in this case, the Health and Human Services organisations, to show that they're meeting their standards of professional competency, community uh, community engagement, whole set of standards. Um, And you pay to have that done. Mm. You pay to have... an 
the organisation we've worked with is now called the Quality, I'm going to get this wrong, they've just changed the name, Quality uh, Innovation Performance, I hope that's correct, QUIP. Um, they were QUIP, so when we worked with them, and they are a national accreditation body. So to get the rainbow tick, you do have to pay. It's not free yep. because they send in one of their highly trained accreditors right. to check that your organisation across these six standards is LGBTI inclusive. But just because you've paid to have um, this person come in and, no. and check over your organisation, you're not guaranteed to get the No, tick. absolutely not. And, no. and leading on from that, at the conference, the first two tickies, I've decided to call them. <laughs> the tickies. <laughs> you can use that if you like. Um, are the City of Stonington and Grampians Community Health. So further to that, why are those organisations, um, other than perhaps that they have a Applied. What what makes them standout organisations that are the first ones to get the tick? Well, four organisations applied or trialled the Rainbow mm-hmm. Tick, and only two of the four succeeded. Okay, um, and that's because those two organisations met all six standards to a minimum level. Well, not even minimum. That's the wrong way of putting it. They met LGBTI inclusive practice across the six standards. Mm. And what that means is the accreditors went in, and they have a whole series of indicators that sit behind each of those standards, and it meant that. They assessed the organisation across those indicators and realised that they had already put in place the processes that made, under each of those standards, them LGBTI inclusive. Mm. So they got it because across six standards they could demonstrate that their organisations had considered the needs of LGBTI people Mm. in everything from intake, welcoming environment, through to a risk register, through to community engagement. Um, That's four of the six standards. Um, So that's why they got it. The Mm. ones that didn't um, hadn't gone far enough Mm. and... um, they can, of course, reapply for the rainbow tick. So not getting it will show you the areas where you need to improve. I also need to say these accreditation processes are what are called quality improvement systems. Mm. So you get the rainbow tick, two years later you go for reaccreditation. you have to show continuous improvement. Right. You will not get the tick if you're back at the, the, the level you oh, got okay, it at. That's great. These are really, really important things to know. Yeah. So and agencies can't drop GLBTI people off their list because they got the rainbow tick. Right? Right. Ah, great. Okay. Well, it sounds like it's an incredibly comprehensive and well-thought-out approach. Are you expecting a barrage of applicants <laughs> now that it's been announced? Well, we up until the launch, we really had done very little promo, but as the the four agencies that were trialled, which weren't made public, um, as just as a consequence of those informal processes, we've had 17 agencies in Victoria okay. approach now quip for uh, to, to ask how they go about getting yeah, accredited cool. so we're hoping it will take off and it was intriguing at the conference when we launched it just to see the level of interest the the really good thing about working with quip is they're a national accreditation body mm. so these standards aren't victorian they apply across all of australia so anywhere in australia can now apply to have the rainbow tick and if it does kick off we will have a national registry for the first time ever of organisations across the country where we can refer LGBTI people and say that organisation has been formally accredited. Yeah. That it will be a world first. Yeah. Yeah. And at GLHV, we've, we endlessly get calls from people saying, can you refer us to a gay or lesbian or trans-friendly service or, mm. or whoever, or GP? And we can say, we can transfer you, we can give you the contact of someone who yeah, is GLBT. Yeah. We can't promise they're competent. So yeah. we don't do it. The Rainbow Tick allows you to do both. Yeah, great. Look, it's a very... 
innovative um, experience to be going through it is, is just developing this whole campaign and making sure that you can find organisations that are GLBTI inclusive. Uh, where can we find more information about Gay and Lesbian Health Victoria and follow the process of, of, of going through mm-hmm. all of this, um, this new accreditation? You just go to our site, which is www.glhv.org.au, and we've just loaded up our first sort of information page on the Rainbow right. Tick following a- the launch. Absolutely brilliant. Director of Gay and Lesbian Health Victoria, Liam Leonard, thank you very much for joining us on Gay News Week. Thank you. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to a Joycast from GLBTIQ Community Radio Station. Joy 94.9. Gay Newsweek. It is Gay Newsweek with Jeffrey, Katie and Matt this evening. And marriage equality around the world is moving at a ripping pace. Um, to keep us up to date with everything that's happening in different countries around the world, we're joined this evening by our regular correspondent from Gay Star News, Andrew Potts. Good evening. G'day, guys. Andrew, first off, last week we were very excitedly reporting the passing of the Gay Marriage Bill in New Zealand, mm. um, which obviously has put a lot of pressure on uh, back here in in Australia, but what's been the uh, or the fallout or the next steps um, over there following following the very exciting and um, jubilant response to that bill passing? Um, well, I mean, I, it seems to have settled down pretty easily. There hasn't been mm. too much back backlash. There's been some comments from uh, religious leaders. Yeah. I believe a, a bishop said it was a ridiculous thing to do, but that's sort of what you expect from them. Mm. Um, I think perhaps... House of Stones, would have thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but I, it does set up a, a, a very interesting situation in that because so many New, New Zealanders travel and emigrate to Australia, where we're going to see a, a large number of uh, people in New Zealand, same-sex marriages in Australia, and we're also going to see a large number of Australians moving to New Zealand. Um, so I believe that the push that's come from that is that the uh, the what what uh, campaigners are going to look to do is to see if they can get uh, recognition of overseas same-sex marriages. Um, while we still try and push for same-sex marriage here. Yeah, certainly. Um, uh, we've seen today um, Sarah Hansen-Young from the Greens announcing she's going to be introducing a bill into um, the Senate to, ha- to have those marriages actually recognised here in Australia. That's correct. And, th- and that's a situation which is mirrored in a number of other countries overseas, including mm. quite conservative ones in, in both Japan and Israel. Um, they recognise overseas same-sex marriages as marriages while not performing them themselves. Jeez, you have to think it all gets a little bit ridiculous. I mean, I think that absolutely that should be passed but in terms of us not having gay marriage here, if we're actually then recognising marriages from everywhere else, it does sort of seem like perhaps the final step before it is passed, you would think. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's New Zealand going is definitely a big precedent because mm. we have so much in common with them and, you know, the, we... we, we uh, have so much contact with them. Not to mention um, a fierce rivalry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely beaten us on this one. <laughs> they have beaten us on this one. Now, we tried to put through a call to Sarah Hanson-Young earlier, but uh, flight problems uh, prevented mm. that from coming off to have a chat about this. But she's going to bring it up in the first sitting week of Parliament. So you've got to wonder, um, given that that's Budget Week, exactly how far that's going to get politically. Mm. Yeah. That, that will be interesting, though. The... the Attorney General uh, did recently say he believes that a, a successful vote on same-sex marriage could be held before the next election. Uh, As in this year, the, the before yeah, this year, yeah, really? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if I Ooh. agree with him, but I don't I think. So. Oh well, it'd be fantastic if it is, but that would be a significant turnaround from 
Sounds pretty big. improbable that Tony, based on what he said, Tony Abbott, the opposition leader, would actually allow that yeah, to no, occur. Yeah, no, in order for that to occur, you'd basically have to have the, the, the Labor Party bind all their MPs to vote for it and convince the independents as well. So I, I think it's unlikely. Mm. We will be discussing the, uh, the impact on the more Australian side of versions when we speak to Rodney Croom shortly on Gay News Week. Um, but France in the last week has actually also passed um, um, legislation to allow same-sex marriage as well. That's right. So just overnight, uh, France has voted uh, 331 to 255 against uh, in support of same-sex marriage. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, that means the French president, Francois Hollande, now has 15 days to sign that into law. Right. Um, But unfortunately, the the lead-up to the vote has been quite nasty. We've seen um, anti-gay marriage protests rioting in the streets. Uh, there have been several uh, attacks on gay bars and a number of high-profile gay bashings in the lead-up to this. Um, leading up to the vote, the French police actually had water cannons ready in case wow. protesters turn, turn violence, and we're yet to see what might happen following this vote. Um, one of the, the oddest things to come out of it uh, was uh, taking their inspiration from the uh, anti uh, uh, anti-Islam feminine protests, um, a whole bunch of conservative young Frenchmen uh, took their shirts off and scrawled no. uh, slogans on their, their chests and held a, a shirtless protest in the middle of Paris. Wonderful. Um, it's really uh, the kind of thing you'd expect would be supporting. Yeah, we, we, exactly. We, we, the, the well, if they're going to protest, at least they can do it in this fashion. Because, <laughs> yeah, know. and to be fair, they were pretty fit. Um, <laughs> oh, good. Can we see these pictures on Gay Star News? Yes, you can. Oh, uh, wonderful. I've got with, the picture up, actually. We, oh. ran, we ran with the headline, is this the most homoerotic anti-gay protest ever? <laughs> yeah. I like Mo- that. Moving backwards a little bit to the uh, other protests and riots that have been going on in France, it's certainly been a very difficult period coming up to what is a good outcome and it just demonstrates the struggle I think along the years. Yeah and I mean we have to remember in France there is a very uh, organised fascistic far right national Mm. front movement Um, so a lot of these protests police had to pull out tear gas uh, and you even had uh, protesters bringing children into those environments and not not, not just bringing children in but actually using them as human shields and using them to try and push through police so it was and we're protesting gay marriage. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, and uh, on that, is there any sense or sign that this is going to be a contested move in Parliament or um, it's really just a, a lot of protesting and, and it will proceed? Um, I believe there there is a, a possibility that the that the centre-right opposition could appeal to the Constitutional Council. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, they'd need 60 senators or deputies to do that. Yep. Um, but that apparently will just only delay the process. Okay. It's pretty much inevitable. The other thing I'm looking at is a story which says homosexuals must be killed in trends in France before the gay marriage vote. So Yeah, so on, on social media, particularly Twitter, there was a, a, a slogan which in France means homosexuals must be killed that was trending quite highly in, in, on Twitter. So it's it's been quite an acrimonious mm. um, protest and and quite a, a, a divisive time. I mean, we have to also remember the economic woes that are yeah, going on sure. in Europe. So a lot of people are sort of uh, angry that this is being done when when other is, uh, other issues may not be 
dealt with or social services. It just goes to show that you can change the laws, but you can't uh, necessarily count on the hearts and minds coming along at the same time. Yeah, certainly. All right, Andrew Potts, thank you very much for bringing us up to date with everything that's happening around the world when it comes to marriage equality. Very concerning to see uh, what's happening there in France. You'll be joining us later this evening to bring us the International Affairs Roundup, but for now, thank you very much. All right, what we're going to do now is uh, get a little bit of national perspective now and joined us uh, joined on the phone tonight, we've got Australian Marriage Equality National Convener Rodney Croom. Rodney, thanks for joining us on Gay News Week. Uh, hi, guys. Thanks hi. for having me on. Pleasure, Rodney. Um, there's, been, there's been a wee bit happening in response to uh, particularly New Zealand, but also France passing same-sex marriage. Um, yourselves there at Australian Marriage Equality have, have used it as an opportunity to reinvigorate calls for a conscience vote. Is that right? Yeah, that's, that's our main focus at the moment. Um, the main obstacle to giving this reform a fighting chance in the federal parliament is the fact that the coalition doesn't have a conscience vote. Mm. Um, and so uh, we've been pushing that. And certainly in response to events in New Zealand, mm. we've seen Tony Abbott uh, open the door slightly mm. and say, um, uh, whereas previously he said he ruled out a conscience vote, now he's saying it'll be in the hands of the coalition party room after the election if they decide they want a conscience vote, we'll have a conscience vote. See, that, I th- to me, I think that's really interesting. Is that just Tony Abbott giving a little bit of ho- false hope and just mm. saying anything he can just to get into office? Well, uh, possibly, possibly <laughs> not. I mean, I, yeah. I, uh, in being... Uh, we have... It, whether it is or isn't, it's our job to keep him to his word. Mm. He, he said that. He said that that will be the case. Yep. Um, now, I believe that... Uh, I don't see any reason why there shouldn't be a conscience vote before the election. Yeah, completely. Um, and uh, the sooner we move on this reform, the better. Uh, I don't see why should, we should wait till after the election. Is this... Uh, but, 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 the, but the point is, I guess, the main point is that uh, the community, community letter writing, um, community uh, voices that have been raised in support of marriage equality have moved him this far. And what we've done today is we've launched a new website that allows people to send... Uh, emails to all of the state liberal or all of the federal liberal candidates in their state mm. um, uh, asking those people to support a conscience vote and uh, because of this door that Tony Abbott has opened saying it'll be in the hands of the party room and um, if uh, if you know we're, community campaigning has got us this far and I think now we can push it further by uh, using this opportunity that Tony Abbott has opened up for us. It's not only uh, sort of Tony Abbott, really, in, in some ways. I mean, the Attorney General, General Mark Dreyfus has, has called for another vote on it. Um, and also we've seen a lot more um, Liberals in New South Wales. State Premiers come out, um, Brisbane member for the last... Liberal National Party. So there's there's a lot of movement on this. Is it is it really a case that we have to kind of strike now while all this momentum is happening? I mean, I just wonder if there's a possibility if it gets to the next election, then this will fade, presuming Tony Abbott's then in office. Uh, well, yes, we do need to strike while the iron's hot. Mm. Um, there is movement in the coalition, largely, I think, because of developments in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, and I think they're feeling there's, there's sort of a little sort of shockwave of, of shame and embarrassment running mm. through the federal coalition mm. when they've seen their counterparts in New Zealand, the nationals over there, seemingly supported, supporting this seemingly without any repercussions. And, you know, uh, it's, it, seemed, it seems fine over there. And uh, uh, there hasn't been any of the angry protests that you were just talking about in, in France. Yep. 
Um, and so can I just so, add to that, Rodney? It's not not like not just supporting and not just no angry protests. I mean, this was this was almost a moment of national pride for New Zealand and the way that it was carried out and the support for it and then the singing in Parliament. I mean, it really just shows the value of being progressive. I mean, it puts you in a different position in the world map, really. Yeah, it does. And our politicians have seen that and they've responded to it in the ways that you've outlined with Barry O'Farrell in mm. South Wales coming out in support, not just of the issue, but also the possibility of supporting a state law if the feds don't move. Yep. Um, and that's what's pushing Tony Abbott on this issue to the point where he's saying, OK, I'll open the door to a conscience vote here. So we do need to strike, but I don't think uh, momentum on this issue is going away. Uh, there will be other countries in the next few months, particularly Britain, but others as well that move forward on this issue. Uh, and when marriages begin in New Zealand, that's when the pressure, pressure will really go up because we'll see more and more Australians going to New Zealand to marry, yep. coming back here, yep. and not having their marriages recognised. Yes. Um, and and so and this is the bill. This is the bills that the the Greens are trying to introduce yeah. now into Parliament on this as well, highlighting the fact that it's not only we don't have marriage, but so many people will be leaving to get married that it's becoming a bit of farcical that then that becomes irrelevant when they come back into the country. Yeah, exactly. So the Greens have introduced legislation to remove that ban on the recognition mm. of overseas same-sex marriages. And um, I know when I was speaking on uh, radio and TV in New Zealand uh, about this issue. The New Zealanders were just flabbergasted yep. that we don't rec- we won't yep. be recognising their marriages. Yeah, yeah. Um, as were many people around the world, particularly when there are country other countries that don't themselves solemnise same-sex marriages, but recognise them from overseas, like Japan and Israel and Slovenia. Yes, and we're we're behind even those countries. Yes, this is um, true. So I would suspect that the movement we're seeing uh, on this issue in the major parties and the fact that the Greens have put this up may mean there's a possibility before the election of getting that reform up at least. Well, that is what we would love to see. Ronnie, thank you so much for joining us. We're we're just running out of time, but thank you for coming on and and keep pushing. It's it's making great great road on this issue at at this point. No worries. Thank you. You're on Gay News Week. More in a moment. Your voice, your radio station. Joy 94.9. You're listening to Gay News Week on Joy 94.9. Yes, you certainly are. It's Katie and Matt with you this evening. Yes, and just uh, one message that we have received, um, just response to the gay marriage discussion. It does tarnish Australia's progressive brand. I'm assuming that's the fact we don't have same-sex marriage. And go Rodney Crome, yes, indeed. Rodney yes. does a lot of good work for the community. Certainly, it's now time to take a look at the news stories making news around the, the nation with our GLBTI National Affairs Roundup. Yes, indeed. And I've got some good news tonight, Matt. Oh, do you really? <laughs> I do. Great. Um, so, uh, there's basically going to be a new national LGBTI telephone counselling service mm-hmm. um, and uh, for, for the next two years from July it's federal government funded and it means that no calls will go unanswered. Wow, that's really important especially when you're in kind of a vulnerable position where you need to talk to someone about um, an issue that may be affecting you. It's important to have someone on the other end of the line there. Absolutely and not only on the line it will also be online instant messaging. Oh, good. <laughs> and uh, video calling. So it's pretty amazing, and it's great that the federal government is supporting this. Um, it'll redirect calls from the five state telephone counselling services, but we'll have four standby counsellors that will pick up calls if they can't be answered. So right. that's all the time. Um, so basically, there's going to be a lot of resources put into that, and uh, an absolutely wonderful service. Yeah, certainly. What, what, what else have we got in the National Affairs Roundup? It's the end of Gay Panic. Oh, good. <laughs> no, this that- is actually really good. This is out of New South Wales, and the gay panic defence for murder is set to be struck down by state parliament. So basically, 
I killed them because, you know, they came that, on that, to they me. They made a Isn't, sexual advance to yeah, me. Yeah, I, it's I, not going to stand up in court anymore, which it's very positive to see. Yes, yes, absolutely. There's lots of information about that, but it's quite heavy. Tassie leads the way on rainbow tourism. Mm. No, Tassie often leads the way on rainbow things. Tasmania's been le- leading the way on a couple of LGBTI-friendly things uh, of recent times. Now, yes, they? yes, they have. But the um, rainbow tourism, basically, we're talking earlier about the rainbow tick with Liam Leonard, of course, but now they're going to have an accreditation program for um, tourism operators. So basically there's several steps that they have to be um, to pass uh, to be set up as, as a friendly rainbow tourist operator. Yeah, certainly. So when you're going on holiday, you know who to go for. Well, that's very good indeed. And just last up tonight, Michael Kirby, he's, uh, he's a gay icon. He's a gay oh. public figure almost. Uh, he's uh, going to be holding a talk in Brisbane uh, later this month um, about why it's important to be open um, and comfortable with your sexuality when you're in business and when you're in your uh, job. Absolutely. He talks about just the ideas of not having to watch your pronouns and being relaxed and comfortable in your own skin. I think we've come a long way on this, but always more room to move. And um, obviously, Michael Kirby, well, respected and um, a very amazing man. And that's about it for the Gay News Week GLBTI National Affairs Roundup. The International Affairs Roundup is now. Become a Joy member so we can give you the best shows every day. Call 1300 JOY 949. It's now time for the International GLBTI News Roundup here on Gay News Week and as always we're joined by Andrew Potts from Gay Star News. Good evening Andrew. G'day guys. Andrew we spoke to you a bit earlier about the what's going on in gay marriage in France and also New Zealand but there's a little bit happening in the States as well. Can you let us know uh, a few updates I think from Delaware, Nevada and Rhode Island. Sure so uh, the uh, Delaware House of Representatives has approved a gay marriage bill that now goes to the State Senate to be approved. Mm -hmm. Um, That was uh, voted in 2318 so that's a good sign there. Mm. Um, And we've also seen uh, in Rhode Island a same-sex marriage bill has has cleared a judiciary committee uh, vote Mm-hmm. Um, now, Rhode Island's one of the few remaining states in the sort of uh, New England area of, of the US that hasn't legalised same-sex marriage. It's also the US's smallest state, um, but that state going forward there would sort of be a, a good move in terms of just solidifying that area of the country into a, a solid same-sex marriage approving vote. Um, now, we've also seen in Nevada, Nevada has a uh, ban on same-sex marriage, but there's moves to not just remove that ban, but also legalise same-sex marriage there Uh, and a resolution there passed the Senate uh, 12-9 it was uh, interesting that uh, during the the vote one of the Democrats in the Senate actually came out as gay uh, for the first time on the the floor of the Senate so that was a big surprise to a lot of people. So Andrew there's a lot uh, with all this happening how many uh, roughly how many states have now are now putting gay marriage bills forward and looking at passing them? Uh, I think we're looking at probably at least another four states legalising same-sex marriage this mm. year. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's probably f- another four or five who are going to be repealing their bans on same-sex marriage, perhaps not moving forward right. quite cool. yet. Um, but there's definitely a lot of momentum here, yeah. Cool. And uh, a bit of a story with a difference this evening is from Iran. Um, so there have been men in Iran who have actually been wearing women's clothes in protest of cross-dressing punishment. Yeah, so this is it's not the kind of story you usually hear out of no, uh, Iran. But uh, So Kurdish men and women in Iran have been cross-dressing to protest a sexist punishment where a man was sentenced to be uh, forced to dress as a woman. Uh, so basically they've, they've said that this court decision implies that being a woman is something that's 
shameful. Mm. And so uh, all these men have taken to social media to post photos of themselves dressing up in their, their wives' and sisters' clothes. Uh, and a lot of women women have been uh, cross-dressing as well. Um, so it's a bit of an odd story there. It's certainly uh, a good one. I mean, it's good to see that the straight allies of uh, the cross-dressing and transgender communities there is actually doing something. And it's it really isn't the story that we would expect out of that area of the world, which I think is why it's so enlightening. Although the picture that you've got of the man dressed up, <laughs> um, I don't know where he found those clothes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, is, it is interesting in Iran. Uh, not a lot of people know, but uh, Iran is actually one of the few countries where the government will actually pay for... Uh, people to undergo gender reassignment surgery. Wow. Okay. Um, unfortunately, that also has created the situation where a lot of gay men are finding themselves forced mm. into surgery in order to have their relationships not persecuted. Yeah, I've certainly read before about state-sponsored um, and forced uh, sex changes, which is uh, horrific. Yeah, yeah. And also, um, well, some interesting news out of Tunisia as well. Yeah, I won't go too far into the details. But, no. Um, the leader of the, the Tunisian uh, Liberal Party, his name is Munir Batur, uh, he's being uh, prosecuted for alleged sodomy uh, and he's been forced to undergo uh, a physical examination to to, to attempt to, to prove whether he's gay or not. Um, he was arrested with another man uh, at a hotel and uh, the, these sorts of tests have been widely discredited in the past, um, so it's basically up to a doctor saying yes or no, and when really there's no physical way they can tell. Essentially what the test would require is that there actually is some demonstration of trauma in the area as uh, evidence of um, the penetration having occurred. So, yep. you know, it's a fairly unreliable test at best, and the process of doing it sounds pretty pretty horrific, just in forced on you by the courts or the police or whatever yeah yeah it's it's a pretty uh it's a pretty shameful thing and uh what's what's happening from the president of paraguay he uh he sounds like he's a nice guy <laughs> yeah so the, the newly elected uh president of paraguay he's apologized for past anti-gay co- comments mm. uh press uh, press conference on Monday, he said he had no shame in apologising to people who felt offended over his comments over same-sex marriage. Uh, in the past, he's said being gay is not normal. He's called gay people monkeys. Mm, and nice. uh, he's said that uh, marriage equality would usher in the end of the world. Ah. Um, he also said he'd... We're sh- so powerful, it comes oh. up yeah. again. He should have lunch with the Westboro people. They could talk about <laughs> lots of things. He, he also said he'd shoot himself in his own balls if his 28-year-old son were to, to want to marry another man. Wonderful. That- I suggest the son comes out, yeah. says he wants to get married and let's see how good he is on this word. Yeah. On his word. See Paul, whether he's a politician a conviction <laughs> politician is what yeah. we're calling them these days isn't it? There's a promise he could uh, definitely deliver. Andrew Potts from Gay Star News. Thank you very much for bringing us the GLBTI International Affairs Roundup. Anytime. Keep us on air. Become a member today. Call 1300 JOY 949. This is Gay Newsweek with Katie and Matt this evening. And we need to just uh, acknowledge that Jeffrey isn't with us, but he no. popped in for a couple of segments earlier today. Yes. When, when we spoke to Andrew Potts um, and when we did the International Affairs Roundup, roundup he was here, but unfortunately he couldn't make it for the live show um, due to board meeting commitments. He's on the board. He's important here at JOY, apparently. Yes, apparently. <laughs> well, maybe he just makes excuses for not being... I don't know. Maybe. Now, we're fast running out of time, but we quickly are. you've got one more story 
story for us. Oh, Katie. look, I just wanted to do an update on the the gay the gay rainbow crossing because we've done so much on this that I thought it was important just to just to point out that this issue has not died. I repeat, it's not died. They're now saying that they want a permanent marker of the area's gay and lesbian heritage around Oxford Street because the rainbow crossing was removed. What? So they want it heritage listed? No, they want to put something else up. Oh, okay. I don't hope it doesn't cost over a hundred thousand dollars again, and then they take it down. <laughs> would be disappointing. <laughs> that would be very disappointing. <laughs> um, just as disappointing that the fact that uh, this has been Gay News Week, but oh. unfortunately we have run out of time. We need to thank a few people. Well, we do. We need to thank our guests tonight. So, um, Liam Leonard, the Director of Gay and Lesbian Health Victoria, uh, Rodney Croon, the National Convener of Australian Marriage Quality, and of course Andrew Potts, our International Affairs Correspondent from Gay Star News. Yes, yeah, a very versatile presenter in, in, in Andrew Potts. He can, al- he can always talk about whatever we want from anything around the world. That's right. Um, he's always very good to us for that. Um, but, of course, this has been Gay News Week. Uh, we've run out of time. Of course, throughout the week, if you want to get in contact with us or suggest topics, for example, you can email us, gaynewsweek at joy.org.au. That's right. Or you can go to Facebook or Twitter. Um, and, of course, you can hear the podcast at joy.org.au forward slash gaynewsweek. But until next week, we are Katie Larson. And my name has been Matt Thompson. The podcast <laughs> well, it's probably still is Matt Thompson. <laughs> but anyway, the podcast will be up um, around this weekend. This has been Gay News Week. Bye for now. You've been listening to Gay Newsweek. Check out joy.org.au slash gaynewsweek for all of the links on how you can keep up to date with the team on social media. And be sure to tune in next Wednesday from 7pm right here on Joy 94.9. Want to know what's going on in our diverse community? Tune in to Joy's range of current affairs programs. 7pm Mondays, Generation Next. Tuesdays at 7, Salt and Pepper. 7pm Wednesdays, Gay Newsweek. And Thursdays from midday... On the line. Thursdays at 7pm, Rainbow Report. Then again on Saturdays from 10 to midday, Saturday Magazine. And across the week, the Community Network News Team bring you the Joy 94.9 GLBTIQ News Wrap. A look back at the news of the week in our community. Yes, we have one of the longest running in-house news services on community radio, bringing you the latest every morning, midday and evening. Be informed and empowered through your news and current affairs lineup on the gayest station in the nation, Joy. 94.9. To find out more about Joy 94.9, check out joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.